Well, we're going to talk about boldness this morning. We're, we're still, uh, we're moving through Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, it comes right after Ezra. And um, we're going to be going through chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And speaking about boldness, it's interesting because what you just saw with everybody that came up here and got baptized, you, you saw a measure of, of boldness uh, with that. Um, it takes some courage to stand up in front of uh, the church family and read your testimony to give everybody some insight into where you've been, how God has moved in you, and then making that public proclamation by going under the water and coming back out. Um, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bold move for these men and these women to take. And so uh, I appreciate it. And I'm always really blessed by it. I hope you all were too. Nehemiah chapter 2. Well, we all have these moments in our life that we wish we could do over, right? Because we lacked boldness. Um, I remember, this was a long time ago, right when we got married, but um, we, we lived in California and we were staying in my brother-in-law's condominium, which was, I don't know, a couple miles from the beach. And it was a pretty highly sought after property. And because we made about $21 a month uh, salary. He was really helping us out. And um, gosh, at one point he, he came to us and he said, hey, how about I just sell you this condo right by the beach? And how about I give you like such an amazing price that there's no way in the world you could pass it up. And there's no way in the world, even at $21 a month, you couldn't afford it. And we very fearfully said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, that just feels like too big of a step for where we are. I have made a pact with Melissa to never bring up this moment again for the rest of my life. But we passed something up that could have been really financially beneficial down the road uh, because we were just afraid to take uh, that step, really afraid to take that step. We lacked... We lacked boldness um, to do something that would have been of a great benefit to us and even some people uh, around us. So that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning is the boldness of Nehemiah, as we saw last week, as he being the cupbearer to the king, um, he has given some information about the state of Jerusalem and that the, the, the walls have been broken down and that the gate has burned down. And this is a brother that needs to have a bit of boldness in order to take the next steps to accomplish what he felt that God was calling him to accomplish. So what, what is boldness? So we say that word. I never like to assume that we know definitions for words. Sometimes we just, especially in the church world, we, we say junk so much. We have words that we're just throwing out there all the time. And some people might be like, I mean, I think I know what that means. I think I get it. Well, what, what is boldness? Well, here's one definition. It's that it's a willingness to take risks and act uh, innovatively. It's about having confidence and courage. The problem, of course, is that we don't always have the desire to be bold. And there's a lot of things that affect our desire and sometimes even our ability to be bold. For you guys, it can be a number of different things, right? It can be some level of trauma that's happened in your life or maybe some, just some family issues that have shaped you, some moments, some circumstances, some tragedies in life, some really difficult 
um, seasons that limit your desire and maybe even your ability to be bold. In fact, many of us might like to be bold. You would say, man, I would love to be a little more bold, but we're in a place where boldness just feels, it feels impossible, right? To take a risk, to act uh, innovatively, it just feels impossible. Sometimes boldness looks just like getting out of bed in the morning for some of us. But there are times when God calls his people to take risks, to act innovatively, and to be courageous. In fact, we see this all through the Bible. In Deuteronomy 31.7, we remember when a, Moses sent Joshua and Caleb to go survey the land. They were just getting right up to the, to the point of being able to finally cross over into the land of Israel. And it says here in Deuteronomy 31.7, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, he said, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. Moses is saying, hey, be bold, Joshua. Be courageous. The Lord has promised this you can move forward. Was he afraid? He was. In Mark 15, 43, we remember after Jesus had died, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a respected member of the council, it says. Um, he was someone who was looking for the kingdom of God. It says he believed in the coming of Christ. It said that in Mark 15, 43, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus, that he might put the body of Jesus in his tomb. It took boldness to go to Pilate and to ask him something that, that was to put him at risk. Why do you want this body, Joseph? What are you going to do with this body, Joseph? Who are you, Joseph? Right? It took some act of boldness for Joseph of Arimathea to do that. We remember in the book of Acts, we remember how much the boldness of the apostles is talked about. In Acts 4.13, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they had perceived that these were just uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So we are called as God's people to boldness, not brashness. So there's a difference between those two things, and the church really gets that wrong. Boldness is not brashness. Brashness is the quality or the condition of being tactless. It's being rash. It's being offensively bold. It's like a bull in a china shop. It's pushing down doors that God isn't opening, right? And there's a difference between boldness and brashness. And what we're going to see this morning is that Nehemiah had the former. He had boldness. We're going to see how Nehemiah makes a bold request to King Artaxerxes. And remember, just as a way of recap, the last week we learned that Nehemiah, again, cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, he received news that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken and the gates had been burned down, which led him to a prayer of lament. And Pastor Scott showed us the depths of Nehemiah's prayer, he just crushed it, did a great job doing that, breaking it down, and how that prayer moved Nehemiah from reverence to repentance to remembrance and then to a willingness to return to Jerusalem to rebuild, restore, and redeem what had been destroyed. And that leaves us right up to this moment in chapter 2 where we get the next step 
step that Nehemiah takes in his journey back to Jerusalem. And this is what it says in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, this is Nehemiah speaking and writing, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. What that means is he'd never before come before the king with the kind of disposition and the countenance that he had in this particular moment. In verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city The place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house That I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I had asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's just stop right there for now. So Nehemiah felt conviction for what needed to happen next, and a lot of stuff needed to happen next. So he needed to be bold. And that's what we're seeing here is an act of what I'm calling godly boldness. But with boldness, And this is what we're going to see and what we're going to chat about this morning. With boldness comes risk. Because the request he needed to make, this could have been received really poorly by the king, right? And this is what we learn, is that when God calls his people to do hard things, when he calls them to hard things, he also provides them with godly boldness to seize the opportunities that he creates for them. And so the question that I want to answer as we unpack these verses a little bit is what does godly boldness look like? What did it look like for Nehemiah? What does it look like for us as the church in 2022? The first thing we see as we look through verses 1 through 3, the first thing we see godly boldness looking like is that it's not letting fear rule. It's not letting fear rule. It was a fearful thing for Nehemiah to show this level of unhappy emotion, right, in front of King Artaxerxes. I mean, his job was cupbearer, which was to make sure that the wine being served to the king was not poisoned. So in other words, before the king took a sip, Nehemiah takes a sip, and if he's still vertical, it must mean that the, the, the wine is okay, which, by the way, sounds like a real sweet job, right? <laughs> I, hope he's getting, I hope he's getting some cash, for this job. I hope this was a good paying job because at some point it really wasn't going to matter how much he was getting paid, right? Um, But then we see Nehemiah is in such distress 
as he comes in just to fulfill his regular duties, his regular tasks. You guys know what that looks like. You guys know what that feels like. Man, when everything is bearing down on you, man, you still got to go to work. You still got to do the things that you're doing. But man, it's hard to hide your emotions. This is Nehemiah. He's in so much distress that he can't even hide his emotions. And you know what's interesting? It's interesting how God uses Nehemiah's emotions, things that we're kind of afraid of in our society, to turn the heart of the king toward Nehemiah, toward the people of Israel. In fact, God acted through Nehemiah's honest emotion. And God acts through ours, too. As hard as it is, as difficult as it is. Because when people know that you're not okay, an opportunity opens up for them. An opportunity opens up for them to show compassion and to pray and to help you process the stuff and the junk, right? But being this openly honest and vulnerable, well, it, it's a moment of boldness for us. It was a moment of boldness for Nehemiah. He needed the king's permission before he could even think about going back to Jerusalem to survey all the damage that he was told had been done. But here's what I find really interesting about Nehemiah's response here. Instead of, you know, plotting something, instead of trying to manipulate the situation, instead of putting together some basically unwise or even dangerous plan, he lays himself bare before the king. And the king was perceptive. The king was perceptive. He observes Nehemiah's sad heart. He shows concern. He shows compassion. Nehemiah didn't let the fear that it says he had or self-pity rule over him. But he let his honest emotions come out, right? We are just masters at concealing our emotions. Because vulnerability can be a fearful thing. It can be. To let someone know we're not okay puts us in a place of emotional and sometimes even physical risk, right? We think... What will happen if they know what's really going on inside of me? If they get a glimpse of the real me, what's going to happen? What kind of risk am I putting myself in when I just let it all out, when I lay it all bare? It's happened to all of you. It's happened to me. I remember a moment I had with a pastor friend where I, I, I spilled, spilled my guts, right? And his response was, and I quote, well, good luck with all of that. And again, that's not, that's not me trying to incite your pity. Um, it, was, it was a moment, and it was a moment that I think this brother had his own stuff that he was going through. It was hard for him to give me what he didn't have. But I had laid myself bare, and this brother just didn't have anything to give back to me. And it left me feeling even more defenseless. It left me feeling even more exposed than I had felt before. I was fearful about ever doing that again. That's understandable, right? It's understandable that I would feel that way. It's understandable that you would feel that way, right? You've laid yourself bare before somebody. You've let that honesty of emotions come out of you like a flood. And sometimes people use those things either to ignore you because they don't know what to do with it or to use it against you because it says something about you that they don't like, that they're uncomfortable with. These things are complex, right? Because letting ourselves become 
bear before another human being feels risky. It is risky. It is risky. And maybe fear, that kind of fear, has been ruling your life for a long time. So let me say this. The Lord understands. He understands your fear. The Lord understands your lack of boldness. He understands the moments in your life that have led you to this fear. Nothing in here tries to either wash over or rebuke Nehemiah because he said he felt much afraid. What we see is we see this ability to act, trusting in the hand of God, even in the midst of great fear. This ability that didn't come from himself to act out in boldness. The Lord understands your fear. He's patient and gentle with you. But he also doesn't want your fear to prevent you from experiencing the freedom and the wholeness that comes from confessing your pains and from confessing your fears. In Isaiah chapter 41, we read, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear is always going to affect us. Fear affected Nehemiah. It didn't keep his knees from knocking, but it didn't rule over him. It didn't prevent him from acting with boldness and courage. And you know what? Sometimes that's a process. Sometimes that's a process. But that's the first thing that we see godly boldness looking like. It's not letting fear rule us. The second thing we see is that godly boldness is using wisdom to seize good opportunities. It's using wisdom to seize good opportunities. It works hand in hand, boldness does, with wisdom. Nehemiah needed wisdom to seize the good opportunity that the king provided after he made that crazy but bold request, right? There's a bunch of different ways, by the way, that Nehemiah could have responded to King Artaxerxes as well, right? I mean, he could have been kind of brash. Uh, he could have come off as a little accusatory. Like, it's, man, the reason why all this is happening, because I'm in, I mean, I don't know, captivity, King Artaxerxes. It's hard to say that name. He could have been a little bitter because of that captivity and how long it had lasted for him. He could have been angry. He could have felt entitled and I've served the Lord all these years, and here I am, still going up to clean up messes. But that's not the response we see from Nehemiah. He leads by honoring the king in verse 3. O king, live forever. There's an order here that needs to be put into play, and I'm going to show you respect, and then I'm going to pray. 
It says that he prayed again in verse 4, which is what led to his wise response. Do you see how he bathed that whole thing in prayer? This is a dude who's much afraid. This is a dude that's coming before the king and showing some emotion. And here's the thing. It wasn't part of the king's job description to manage people's emotions. And in fact, if you read in some commentaries, it'll tell you, man, this this emotion that Nehemiah showed, it could have made the king feel like he was being put at risk, like something was about to happen, that maybe a plan was being put into place that was going to be harmful to him. It was a great risk for Nehemiah to even show the emotion that he showed to King Artaxerxes. And so what does he do after he emotes After he hears back from the king, he prays again, God help me because I'm still quaking. I'm still scared. I need wisdom. I have an opportunity here. I need to seize it, but I'm still a scared dude. God has given you wisdom. He's given you wisdom so that your boldness is not brashness like it could have been with Nehemiah, so that it's not self-seeking but that it's focused on the glory of God and the good of others. This was Nehemiah. As soon as he received the king's favor, he told him exactly what he needed, which was safe passage into Judah and timber from Asaph to begin the rebuilding process. He told him exactly what he needed. A godly boldness is accompanied by godly wisdom so that we are able to seize good opportunities This is exactly what we see Nehemiah doing here. Also, this is what wisdom does for us. He wasn't under any illusions either. With wisdom comes an expectation that it's not going to be all puppy dogs and ice cream. Even when God is going before us, right? Seizing an opportunity, listen, doesn't mean that there will be nothing in it that threatens to seize you. This is where godly risk comes into play. It's worth it to risk it for some things. We just continue to be so risk averse, right? Because we've devised systems and ways of doing things to where everything's automatic. Like this is a guarantee. This is for sure. Until it's not a guarantee, until it's not for sure, right? But God calls us to godly risk. It's worth it to risk our time. It's worth it to risk our talent. It's worth it to risk, hold on, our resources to further God's movements. This is why, as members of Substance Church, you are all asked to gather on Sunday. You are asked to serve. You're asked to seize the opportunities God has given you through our church body. Happens in a variety of ways. And by the way, I'm excited to share how some of these movements will be expanding in in the coming months. But when we are a prayerful church who doesn't let unhealthy fear rule our hearts, we will believe, listen to this, that taking godly risks worth our time, worth our talent, worth our resources is much less riskier than doing nothing at all. Right? We know that things can go wrong. Why? Because they go wrong all the time. But we are convinced that not being courageous where God has given us good opportunities to act is in fact disobedience.
Um, those, some of you guys may know uh, Zeke Ziegler. Man, I, I forgot to ask, clear this story with Zeke, so I'm going to pay for this later. He's going to not like me telling this. Um, there's nothing, nothing it's, it's not that harmful. Um, but Zeke is, a, Zeke is a farmer. I've gotten to know Zeke over the last few years, and I don't know anything about farming. Uh, shock, shocker, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm just so fascinated by everything that he does, and he's so good at it. And so I'm always asking him like a thousand questions more together. But he plants his crops knowing full well that the weather could undo his work. I mean, man, when I talk to this brother. But God has provided his family with opportunities to farm the land, right? To farm the land they've been given. So they, they wisely seize that opportunity. Knowing full well it's not going to be, you know, like planting tulips on the front lawn. There's risk there. There's risk there. They need to be courageous. Every time spring arrives and they start planting again, it's an act of boldness. It's an act of courage. It's an act of trust in God, knowing that when harvest time comes, it may not be the crop that they planted or that they desired. Does that prevent them, though, from planting? Not at all. Godly boldness is not letting fear rule, but it's using wisdom to seize those good opportunities, trusting that if those opportunities go south on us, we still have a God that stands with us in the south. Does that make sense? And here's the final thing that godly boldness looks like. It looks like never taking your eyes off God in the process. Never taking your eyes off God in the process. The good hand of my God was upon me, Nehemiah said, in verse 8. Because here's the thing, is our boldness, your boldness, my boldness, it's never entirely about us. In fact, Nehemiah, he, he uses the same language Ezra uses when he says the good hand of God was upon me. It may look like, as we look down on this, like King Artaxerxes granted his request, but it was actually the greater king who was granting his request. Ultimately, this was not a movement by King Artaxerxes. This was a movement of God through King Artaxerxes, right? Nehemiah knew where his help was actually coming from. What a lesson for us. Even in his fear, he knew that it was the Lord's favor that he ultimately needed. It is hard for us to keep our eyes on the greater king whose eyes are always upon us, whose good hand is always helping us, by the way. Nehemiah had a boldness and a wisdom that wasn't brash. It also wasn't opportunistic because it came from the heart of a God who had his eyes on Nehemiah the whole time. And that's where Nehemiah kept his eyes. In his sadness and in his fear, Nehemiah kept his vision clear, which is really difficult to do, which is really difficult to do. Because we also notice in verses 9 and 10 that even when we seize the opportunities God provides, not everybody is happy 
in the process. It says in verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballah the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So for all of this, for all of the boldness of Nehemiah, for all of his use of wisdom through prayer and seizing the opportunities, for not taking his eyes off God, he was going into a situation that was not awesome. And that's a picture of our lives. That's a picture of the cycle of our lives, the things that God emboldens you to do that he doesn't want an unhealthy fear to rule over you, to prevent you from doing, it doesn't mean that you are not walking into the fire in some of these things. So let the reader understand, right? So here's how I want to finish with two questions. What is something that you need to have boldness in today? And my second question is how do we acquire Boldness. Now, only you can answer the first question. What is something you need to have boldness in? So reflect on that. Reflect on that as we scatter and you go home today. As for the second question, how do we acquire boldness? And here's what it is. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. Gosh, I wish I had a more technical, more theological answer than that. But that's actually a pretty theological answer right there. Like I'd get an A on my paper. Like a professor couldn't give me a bad grade for saying that. Um, what they would say is, Ronnie, that's too short. You need to write a little bit more. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. Let me go back to that passage from Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Boldness comes from being with Jesus. That's why... Gathering with God's people, which y'all are doing. Committing yourself to prayer, which is what we do here on Sunday morning. And the consistent reading of God's word, which we do here on Sunday morning, that we're hoping carries you and creates a pattern for you to imitate throughout the week. That's why those things are so important. Those things are called the ordinary means of grace. And those are the things that will bring about godly boldness in your life. That looks a lot like the boldness of Jesus who went to the cross after a night of many tears and much anguish before God. So to rush out of here and just say, man, I'm just going to be bold. I'm going to crush it. Well, that's, that's actually what we would call brashness. But to walk out of here with a measure and a level of sobriety, which leads you to seeking Jesus first, before you make those moves, will be your first step toward godly boldness that will also keep your priorities straight at the same time. Nehemiah, make no mistake, Nehemiah was a fearful man who prayed faithfully and acted boldly in the face of fearful and risky ventures. And today, because of how Jesus has acted toward us, we can take risks. We can act with godly boldness. We can run with endurance like Nehemiah, but only when we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who runs 
before us. So how do we, how do we operate? How do we run in boldness? We run to Jesus. That is the answer for the church. And you make a beeline to Jesus Christ. You go before him and lay your soul bare. And you know what? When we lay our souls bare before Jesus, he just doesn't return it back to us. Like all of us are, are really bad at doing when other people do that to us. But he receives our fears with gentleness and lowliness. And when we are patient, like he is patient, he gives us that wisdom when we need it to seize the opportunities that he's going to open our eyes to. And then we're a church that is moving with patience and with wisdom and with the right kind of fear, which is fear and reverence and awe before Jesus, all that he is and all that he's doing. Does that make sense? I want to pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for boldness that doesn't come from ourselves that's not something manufactured. That's not something cheap. That's not something that just makes us have fists and become bulls in china shops. But it actually allows us to lead out with wisdom and with a fear that is being alleviated day by day as it is transformed into an awe and a reverence for you. So Lord, wherever we are today, and whatever we are struggling with, whatever is gripping us in its grip, whatever thing, whatever person, whatever event is seizing us and causing us to be fearful, Lord, would you, Lord, move us to laying that bare before you? Lord, would we pause? Would we be patient? Would we remember you? Would we remember the firm foundation that we have as you build our lives upon your love? Would you help us and uphold us with your righteous right hand? Would you provide us, Lord, with wisdom and grace? Because we need it. We are all at a place right now where we need it more than we ever have. So God, would you give it to us and we will praise you now for it because that is your goodness to us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.